on the names of Jesus. Through the series, we will be looking at different names of Jesus that appear in the book of Matthew and Luke. And today marks the beginning of this series. Um, Before we jump into the text, I would like us to warm up a little bit. I know it can be a little awkward, um, maybe a little uncomfortable, but can we all turn to people sitting next to you front and back and introduce our names and share with them what they mean or share any history behind your name? Um, Try to talk to people you haven't met yet. Go, people. (laughs) Okay. I hope everyone got to learn at least one name. Um, Wow, I didn't know everyone would be so into (laughs) talking about their names. That's cool. Um, Yeah, um, names are very important tools in human society. As creatures who use language, languages and verbal communication, we rely a lot on names to be able to communicate. Names um, are significant for two reasons. The first reason is that it serves a very practical purpose of addressing an object, place, animal, or a person. Without names, we may not be able to carry a normal conversation. Um, As we have seen, everyone sitting in the sanctuary has a name. Um, we're really surrounded by names. When we drive through the town, we see numerous signs showing the various names of the stores. Um, As someone who speaks English as the second language, one of my biggest struggles when I first came to the United States was to memorize new names. I can't give you exact statistical numbers, but I felt as though at least 20% of my daily conversation contained some sort of names. For instance, let's say I heard someone say, let's go to Wegmans and buy some Oreos and pick up Molly on our way back. You can see that in these two short sentences, you can already find three names, Wegmans, Oreos, and Molly. The second reason why names are important is because they carry meanings. In Korea, naming babies is taken so seriously that some people pay name specialists to name their babies. When the baby is born, they write down the birth date and time of the baby and take it to the name specialist who finds a name that will supposedly bring health and good fortune to the baby. 
even though this is seen as somewhat superstitious, many people still get their names this way. In Korea, the honor of naming the babies is often given to the head of the household. Korea still being a patriarchal society, this honor is usually bestowed upon the paternal grandfather. When I was born, my grandfather decided to name me Orim. If you speak Korean, you would have noticed that this name sounds a lot like Ori, which means a duck in Korean. My parents were concerned that I would be made fun of by my friends as a duck when I would enter school. So they persuaded my grandparents to let them name me instead. So, and my mom recounts that the persuading part was very scary because she didn't want them to feel like they were being taken away their right to name the first child in the family. Um, Thanks to my mother's courage, I was named Haun, which means the grace of God, and which sounds nothing like Ori. And indeed, growing up, no one really made fun of my name. And just like my name, I have been living in the fullness of God's grace. Names are not only important in our daily life, but also in the scripture. When God created the first humankind, the very first task God gave to Adam was to name all living creatures. The act of giving names to the living creatures not only signified humans' intellectual superiority over animals, but also the humans' dominion over the creation bestowed by God. By naming someone or something, you declare your ownership over it. You can see that in the story where God names the first humankind, Adam. The scripture also shows God's active participation and interest in renaming his people. The Old Testament is full of incidents where God gives new names to his chosen people. For instance, God renames Abraham and Sarai to Abraham and Sarah. And Jesus calls his disciple Simon Peter, which means rock. In the Bible, names are not only a way to refer to someone for a practical purpose, but also what symbolizes the essence and character of the indicated. So when God gave someone a new name, it usually symbolized a turn in the course of their life. Their life was to be transformed to suit their new name. Names are not only relevant to the creation, but also to God. Throughout the Bible, God is praised with numerous names. Some might wonder how one can have more than one name. But here in this series, we're looking at names in a broader sense. We all have a number of names. Our given names are the most significant and primary one of those. But we also have names such as nicknames, um, titles, positions, and descriptions. People aren't always called by their given name. For example, president is simply called president. Also at work, you may refer to your manager by her name, but also simply as manager. You mention him or her in a conversation like the manager wants to see you in the office. So here we are in the very first chapter of the book of Luke. The text we have today is a famous story of the Annunciation, the angel Gabriel's visit to Virgin Mary. 
when Mary is by herself, the angel Gabriel appears to Mary. Gabriel greets her, and while Mary is perplexed by this sudden visit, the angel delivers some big news to her. He says, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. On the night of the angel Gabriel's appearance, Mary not only receives the news of her conception, but also the name for her baby. You see, just as the head of the household in Korea traditionally holds the honor of naming the baby, as the father, God comes up with the name for his only son as well. The baby will be born with a name that will show his characteristics, roles, and purposes. And the baby is named Jesus. I know that many of you will be curious to know about the name Jesus in more detail, but I'll leave that for Pastor David for later sermons. Today I want to focus on another name of Jesus. After telling Mary the name of the baby, Gabriel continues to say that the child will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. This name, the Son of the Most High, is what we'll be focusing on today. Like I said before, the name, the Son of the Most High, was more of a descriptor, a nickname, a title for Jesus. The Son of the Most High. So Jesus is the Son of the Most High. Who is the Most High? The Most High was a descriptor for God. El Elyon, meaning God Most High, was a term addressing God that appears quite often in the Old Testament. To be more exact, God Most High appears five times, and the descriptor, the Most High, appears 33 times to refer to God in the Old Testament. You can find this term first in Genesis in the story of Abraham and Melchizedek, and it continues to show throughout the Old Testament. The most high is the superlative of the adjective or adverb high. In the dictionary, high has several meanings. The first meaning is that something is of great vertical extent. When something has a physical height that surpasses the height of any near objects, we say that something is the highest. Humans have always had an admiration for the height. As the story of the Tower of Babel shows, we have always tried to reach the highest point of a geographical location. Last year, a documentary called Free Solo was released. I'm not sure if any of you have watched it, but it is about this young man climbing a 3,000 feet vertical rock face at Yosemite National Park, Free Solo, meaning that the climber does not use any ropes, harnesses, or any protective equipment. The documentary is extremely nerve-wracking, as you can imagine, as this man climbs a rock that is almost 90 degrees upright, bare hand and foot. But it captures well a man's desire to conquer the height. 
Why do we obsess so much over the height? Well, because the height exposes our limits. Being at the highest point gives us power. When we are up high, we can get a full view of what is going on. One of the combat strategies that was used in the past and that is probably still being used today is to secure the high ground. High ground allows you to have a clear view of the enemies and gives the enemies the disadvantage of having to climb uphill while allowing you to allowing you the ease of advancing downhill at a faster speed. So the name God most high expresses God's ultimate high place over the world. Because God is the highest of all, he has no limits. There exists no blind spot for God because he has the view of all that exists. Our relationship with God also shows vertical exchange of God's blessing down to us and our praise up to God. In the Old Testament, When animal sacrifices were still a practice, we gave offerings in different shapes and forms. One of them was to give the burnt offering. When the Israelites burnt offerings, the aroma of the sacrifice went up to God, who is symbolically sitting on the highest throne. Likewise, when we communicate with God now, we lift up our praises and prayers to God who governs our life from the highest place. Even though God does not have a physical body like we do, we use a lot of expressions that attribute geographical and physical advantage to God. As finite beings, the way we describe God has to be influenced by our surroundings and physical limitations. So God most high, in that sense, is one of the most majestic and significant descriptor we give to God. The second meaning of being the highest has to do with being great in rank or status. When Israelites called God the Most High, the title expressed the sovereign authority of God. God has supremacy over all because God is the governor of all things. I love watching historical movies where the stories of royals are told. I like it mainly because of the exotic costumes that the actors wear, but I also find their manner of speech quite charming. In those movies, the royals are often addressed as the highness. Highness literally means that the other person holds a place of highness than yourself. In the same manner, God is always superior than any humankind because he's the creator of all. So the most high symbolizes the one and true God. Now here, we have to understand something. Gabriel calls Jesus the son of the most high. If Jesus is the son of the most high, it is saying that Jesus shares the qualities and characteristics of God as his son. Children resemble their parents. Whenever I scroll down the list of the profiles on my friends, on my um, messenger app, 
I always get amazed by how similar the babies of my friends look to my friends. They are, yeah, I can just look at the baby pictures and then tell um, who their parents are. Children not only take on the looks of their parents, but they also take on their parents' personality, quirks, and habits. So in human language, when we say that someone's the son of someone, we're acknowledging those similarities. Jesus, by nature, being the son of God, shares the same essence with his father. Saying that Jesus is the son of the Most High is also saying that Jesus is the highest of all, that Jesus is God. But here is a strange thing. Even though the name of Jesus signifies his high status and position, from the beginning, Jesus' life is shockingly far from the life of being the highest. As you know from the story of Jesus' birth, Mary, after the visit from Gabriel, becomes pregnant with Jesus. As a young girl, to be pregnant before marriage probably wasn't the most glamorous experience for Mary. We don't even have to go that far. I mean, even now, teen pregnancies are a sensitive topic and many young mothers experience hardships. So Mary is sent to another town to her relative Elizabeth, um, probably um, in a way to avoid people's stares too. After all, she lived in a small town, so the news of her pregnancy might have spread like wildfire. Then when Mary is soon expecting a child, she and Joseph embark on a journey to Bethlehem for the, the registration. I've never been pregnant, but it is not difficult to imagine how hard it would be to carry a baby inside of you. As the child grows in the mother's womb, the baby takes up much of the space, so you start to get out of breath. Traveling in that condition, especially on a dirt road, probably on a horse or donkey, must have been extremely challenging. And when you think that the story can't get any worse, the baby actually decides to come out when Mary and Joseph are visiting Bethlehem. Of course, this helped in fulfilling the Old Testament prophecy, but because they were away from home, the birth probably was also not the most luxurious and comfortable one. Even from the beginning, Jesus' life is far from that of the royals or of the highest status. And because of that, many people got confused about Jesus. They did not recognize Jesus as the Son of the Most High. Yet, there was one who acknowledged Jesus' divine sonship right away. In Luke chapter 8, we can see a story of demoniac who was possessed by a legion of demons. When the man saw Jesus, he fell down and shouted, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Isn't this interesting? That no ordinary people saw that Jesus was the son of God, but the one possessed by demons did. 
Well, the story reveals something about Jesus. It talks about Jesus' divine and royal sonship in light of his work in defeating the power of sin. Jesus is the Son of the Most High because of his relation to God the Father, but also because of his work on the cross. Jesus came among us with a purpose. And this purpose was to redeem us by defeating sin. Jesus came to show God's love to us by sacrificing himself. Even though Jesus came as the Son of the Most High, Jesus did not seek to be exalted or praised. He was not born in a palace, nor enjoyed a great fortune. Rather, Jesus lowered himself and set an example of how to serve God's people by becoming the sacrificial lamb himself. So Jesus' high status and position came from his essence as the Son of God and also from what he actually accomplished. Jesus fulfilled his mission of setting God's people free, thus justified his title as the Son of the Most High. His work of redemption confirmed his right as the Son of God and proved his supreme dignity and glory. But what does knowing Jesus' name have to do with us? What significance the name the Son of the Most High carries for us? Well, another verse in Luke invites us to think more deeply about this name of Jesus. Let's turn to Luke 6.35. Let me read the verse first. So here, Jesus teaches his disciples. And he says, Love your enemies, do good, and lend expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High. Before, I talked about how children take on the characteristics of their parents. Many of those characteristics, like physical features, come naturally, but children also resemble their parents by emulating the actions of their parents. Jesus, as the Son of the Most High, acted out God's love, grace, kindness, and justice throughout his ministry. Just as a child learns to speak like their parents, Jesus studied and spoke God's words and modeled the way of life that was pleasing to God. His life of ministry shows how the Son of the Most High was able to live a life of love and servitude as a humble human being. And he encourages us to do the same, to love our enemies, to do good, and perform the act of kindness without wanting anything in return. These things are, of course, easier said than done. But when we think and believe that we're also the children of God, the children of the Most High, that we have the advantage of sitting up high 
And viewing the world from a different angle, like having a bird's eye view, we may be able to start seeing things differently. During the past Thanksgiving week, I got to go to different stores. As usual around this time of the year, the stores were decorated with Christmas-themed items with bright lights and red and green colors. This scene, however, contrasted so drastically with the story of Jesus' birth that I had been contemplating on for the preparation of this week's sermon. I wondered whether this was really the way to celebrate Jesus' birth. Then my phone buzzed. It was an email from church encouraging the women of Graceway to donate snow boots for children in need. As I was following the chain of emails discussing the efficient way to purchase and collect boots for children, I began to feel encouraged. Even though the world may still stay a certain way, just by changing where we stand, moving from the ground level to where our Father God sits, we can see the world differently and start acting differently. God made all of us his children, and that means we don't have to stay where we are. We too can secure the high ground by lifting up each other and encouraging one another to follow the example of Jesus, who lived a lowly life, yet is entitled with the name the Son of the Most High. Yeah, Truly, Jesus is the Son of the Most High, the Son of God who sits on the highest throne, who governs the whole creation as the commander of all. And he teaches us that we too can be the children of the Most High. And just as Jesus called God Abba, Father, we too can call him our Father. In this season of Advent, as we contemplate And the names of Jesus, I really want to encourage all of us to think about who Jesus is and what makes Jesus the Son of the Most High, and how we can also become the children of the Most High. Uh, pray with me, please. Dear God, you have sent us your Son who stepped among us. to the lowliest place, to serve us and to love us. Even though you belong to the highest place, you did not hesitate to reach out to us. You did not hold back. We praise your endless love and kindness toward us. As we prepare to celebrate your birth, help us remember not only your birth, but also your sacrifice and your work on the cross. And please inspire us to follow your footsteps so we may be also called the children of the Most High. We praise you in your glorious work, and we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Alan. <clears throat> At this time, I want to invite you all to the Lord's table. The Lord Jesus Christ on the night... of his arrest, of his betrayal, 
He took the bread and after giving thanks, he broke it. And it said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after the supper. And he said, this cup is the new covenant sealed in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do this also in remembrance of me. For as long as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim once again the saving death of our Savior until he comes again. And so it is in his name I invite you to eat and to drink and to renew your trust once again in what he has done for us. Let's pray together the prayer Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.